Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 379. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 379. Today's guest helps us step out of the world of growing and designing with flowers and into the larger arena of creative strategy and the way we express ourselves and our brands through digital media. I'm delighted to welcome Robin Avni to the Slow Flowers podcast. The timing is ideal as we come to the close of a calendar year. And if you're like me, you're also finally allowing yourself to dream and imagine goals for 2019. Robin's consulting practice is called bricolage, and when translated from the original French, the term means creation from a diverse range of elements. Nearly a decade ago, I received a surprise invitation from Robin Avni to join a cohort of creatives that she called Real Women, Real Life. It turned out to be a dream team of 12 female lifestyle experts, each of us with knowledge on a specific subject matter, ranging from design, food, fitness and health, to gardening, travel, and family and parenting topics. I've always been drawn to Robin and her energy. She's a multi-talented, idea-a-minute, visual and written communicator. I remember reading Robin's home and technology design stories in the Seattle Times long before I was fortunate enough to meet her, which I recall was on a press tour of the former Seattle Interior show back in 2004. Thanks to LinkedIn, we stayed in touch. And years later, even though I was living in Los Angeles at the time, we'd get together when I was in Seattle on business. Robin pioneered the idea of a female-focused creative media and consulting agency, described as a select group of savvy lifestyle experts focused on how real women live, make choices, and craft their worlds. Lifestyle Insights developed new media content, shaping messaging, programming, strategy, and knowledge with intent, and a little bit of soul. Robin coined the phrase, the mommy to maven marketplace. Together, our group launched the daily blog, Lifestyle Insights, Real Women, Real Life, in September 2009. The experience gave me a new forum to write in a new way, including fun, memoirish essays, as well as outdoor living and gardening topics. I had to learn how to communicate my ideas in 300 words or less, which in today's world of bite-sized journalism is an excellent skill to have. 
Through our blog and related projects, such as white papers and trend reports, Real Women Real Life spoke with a powerful voice urging corporations to rethink how to communicate with their female customers. One of the highlights of that time was co-presenting with Robin at the Independent Garden Center Conference in 2010 on the topic of the female gardener, Mommy to Maven. Our workshop shared some of the research and insights collected by Lifestyle Insights with the goal of helping independent garden center owners and garden-related companies to understand the female consumer, not just by obvious demographics of age, ethnicity, or economics, but by her life stages. Before we start the interview, here's a bit more about Robin. Throughout her career in the media and high-tech industries, including eight years as Group Design Manager at Microsoft, Robin Obney has managed high-profile projects and award-winning teams. As an Assistant Professor of Design at Cornish in Seattle, Robin managed several academic and corporate projects, including two collaborations with Amazon and a special grant from the Microsoft HoloLens team. The Microsoft HoloLens strategy team sought to leverage the creative problem-solving disposition of artists to explore the artistic possibilities of mixed reality. The project culminated in a 2016 mixed reality gallery show on the Cornish campus in Seattle, showcasing unique mixed reality experiences through design, dance, and theatrical performance. During her tenure at Microsoft, Robin created and produced V-Style, one of the first online style webzines. She helped launch MSNBC, she managed internal training resources for the product groups, and was a group manager for design and user research for Windows and, and SQL Server. Her years at Microsoft enabled Robin to catch the wave of a new era in design, one that would profoundly change the course of the design profession as new technologies changed methods of communication, content, and interactive design. After Microsoft, Robin transitioned to consumer research, managing a portfolio of Fortune 500 clients as a senior director and lead consumer strategist at Iconoculture and as a senior ethnographer at the Hartman Group, where she engaged in primary consumer qualitative research. In 2015, she became an assistant professor of design at the Cornish College of the Art, where her academic research focused on visual communication, social photography, and the intersection of technical tools and creativity. Robin is a frequent speaker at industry conferences, as well as serving on national and local boards and commissions, including the Knight Curriculum Advisory Committee at the Indiana University School of Journalism, where she received her BA in journalism. She holds a Master's of Communication in Digital Media from the University of Washington. And Robin was also the recipient of a postgraduate Knight Wallace Fellowship at the University of Michigan. Please enjoy this big picture conversation and visit DebraPrinzing.com for today's episode 379 to find our show notes where you'll see photos of Robin and some of her projects and also find links to Design Matters, her upcoming course at the Bainbridge Artisan Resource Network or BARN, scheduled for January on Bainbridge Island outside of Seattle. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited today to introduce my guest and good friend, Robin Avni. Hi, Robin. Hi, Deborah. It's so wonderful that this worked out that you, we I were know. having lunch, <laughs> and you said, yes, you can interview me. <laughs> thank you. Well, I'm honored that you want to interview me, so thank you. It's nice to see you. Yeah, it's been wonderful re reconnecting. And just to give you a little background on Robin, we have been friends professionally and personally, but known each other for many, at least 15 years in the yeah. Seattle marketplace. 
you've had an illustrious career in design and content and communications and education. And I particularly wanted to ask you about, you know, kind of where you see the industry going on sort of content, especially from a point of view of creatives. So I asked you before we turned the uh, recorder on, Robin, what's your business called? And I know you have a website called RobinAvani.com. Right. And you're based in Gig Harbor, which is south of Seattle, west of Tacoma, right? In yes, beautiful yeah. waterfront community. It's it's gorgeous down here. It really is. Um, and anyway, you said you just rebranded. So tell us a little bit about, give us a snapshot of, of your consulting practice. Okay, well, thanks. Well, I rebranded because, I mean, the website's still robinofty.com because, quite honestly, every website night, Every website name in the world has been taken. Right. And so you your know, name is your brand in right, a way. Right. Your name is yeah. your brand. So it's just easy for people to remember that. But I, I'm starting to do um, what I call creative strategy and culture, cultural programming. And what that involves is um, a variety of different things. So I didn't want to pin it on one thing. Mm. Bricolage is the French word which really means creation from a diverse range of elements. Mm. So it's kind of like if you say the French, you know... In slang terms, it could be termed DIY, but it's really more than DIY. It's actually, in terms of the French, taking a lot of different elements and making something beautiful. Hmm. And how do you spell it? It's B-R-I-C-O-L-A-G-E. Bricolage. Oh, well, I mean, no one has that because you're teaching us a new phrase, basically. <laughs> right. Well, you have to put what it means on your business mm-hmm. card so people understand, mm-hmm. but... Well, um, we have so many things to talk about. I, I want to particularly uh, get your take on what's happening with content creation. Um, I want to reminisce about the time we worked together. <laughs> and um, get some, Marvelous time. Yes, and just talk about your insights on that. I think we have so many people in creative professions who listen to the Slow Flowers podcast. They might be um, floral designers, floral artists. Uh, people who call themselves farmer florists, so they're like in the science of farming, but the art of floral design, and um, you know all kinds of other design endeavors in the green space, like landscape design. Um, I'm excited to kind of drill down on some of the things that you've learned over the years because you've worked in all those areas. I mean, you haven't worked in floral, but you've worked in home and garden quite a bit. Yes. Um, the thing that first impressed impressed me when we met was your idea to look at female consumers and understand lifestyle trends. And this goes back to when we worked together about 10 years ago. Can you just talk about what led you to that and what were you doing and what caused that to start? Well, what was interesting was when um, I was at that time working for a company called Iconiculture and doing a lot of trend analysis. And what I began to notice when I looked at the stats was when you looked at who was driving purchasing in the home, it was women. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm not sure if these stats still hold, but at the time, they were driving 90 to 95% of the decision-making of the spending of the money that in the household that had to do with travel, medical, um, education, um, health, health yeah. um, and just, you know, and also cooking, yeah. you know, food, yeah. as well as just design in the home, mm-hmm. um, all of those things. But all those decisions and all that, that final decision and... Um, power was lying with the women. So why not address what their specific needs were? And, you know, as we always say, Deborah, we were way ahead of our time. Yep. We were just saying over lunch, gosh, wouldn't it have been great if Instagram was around? We were just 
beginning with the blog and the Twitter and Facebook at that time. Um, right. Was it around 2009 or something like it that? It was during the big recession. Okay. You know, when we all had time. Yeah. So 2008. Uh, yep. Yeah. And, but we did, we all got up to speed on all of the social networking at that time. It's just Instagram wasn't there. And since all of us were so visually oriented and what we talked about and what we were experts in was visual it would have been fabulous. Yeah, exactly. But um, but that was the idea, basically. And you've seen that kind of kind of branch into the marketplace now over the last 10 years. Right. I learned so much uh, from this, um, acti- this sort of cohort that you created called Real Women, Real Life. Mm-hmm. Um, you invited about six or eight uh, subject matter experts who you had, you know, previously worked with in other arenas be it when you were at the Seattle Times or at Microsoft or at Iconoculture, and you said, hey, let's let's put this group together and perhaps create content that will attract the attention of companies that are marketing to women. So companies hadn't quite figured out that there was a different point of view they should bring to their branding and their marketing at the time, right? And they, they hadn't figured that out, and they also hadn't really gotten... They were afraid of social media at that time, which was a lot of the questions we answered. And then also, um, they hadn't figured out how to really leverage content. Mm-hmm. Like they, to content to them was marketing content. It was more like, what clip art can we find? Or right. It wasn't original. And it was also like, okay, let's put up something that just solely promotes our product rather than more about how to, how to use it in a general, more general way. Or, um, you know, if they were a food company... Well, more about just general cooking and food styling as, that people wanted to know. And as a result, would enhance the brand of that wow. company. And now you see that happening all, yeah. it's all over. I'm just getting the shivers listening to you because I, I learned so much from you and that wonderful group of women that we worked with about... They were amazing. Yeah, and just about this um, giving away um, inspirational content without the hard sell. And I feel like that is the sort of the secret sauce of successful influencers right now. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you look now how the blogosphere has exploded, and if you look at, um, you know, a lot of the, the very popular blogs, I mean, there are quite a few of them. I follow, I have a few favorites that I follow, right? And I actually, I read them every day and, or whenever they post and they are just talking about their lives Mm -hmm. and they might mention this or that and they'll honor that it's, you know, sponsored, but most of the, you know, 50% 50% of the time it's sponsored, 50% it's not. But also if it's sponsored and they don't, they, it wasn't a good experience, they talk about that, right? Right. So it's it's really amazing to see the, that influence and that following and how they get courted now by companies. And it sort of, sort of makes me think of the one of the other lessons I learned from you, which is um, this idea of one to many. Like if you create, <laughs> I, I constantly go back to that because it... We're all having to be our own, basically our own publishers and our own content creators. So how do we do that without burning the midnight oil? How do we be efficient? And I learned from you that if I had a photo or I had a blog post, there were places that I could push it out into. And I think what you did so successfully is when you created those white papers that were offered to the industry about... Uh, forecasting or a single idea um that was early on and you know i i i don't know if you've seen changes in how people are 
sharing content or well, what's interesting now with all the different platforms in the platforms the social media platforms enable you to share that's true i mean yeah. i know that facebook owns instagram and so that makes it easier to share back and forth but there are a lot of other tools where mm-hmm. you can really plan your schedule and you could take one post and you should be taking that one post and posting it many places at different times mm-hmm. and using you know an image on instagram using the article using a quote using a tweet all of those things kind of coming together to to build your brand but yeah. then it also extends to you know just everything as simple as your business card to just who you are and, and what you represent and how you want to be perceived, right? Yeah, and I think that what I'm hearing you say is that really, if we are able to understand the medium and the content has to be tweaked to fit that medium and how people consume it, it's a little bit of work, but I think it's more of a, if you get into this familiarity of just automatically sharing, then you get more, I guess, drill down a little bit more about what, what how people i don't know read twitter versus instagram or something like that well right but also i think you know when you just it's definitely that and it's definitely i think also you were always so generous and what I, you know, one of the things I learned from you was to just go for it, right? Yeah. Just give it a try. <laughs> Fake right? it till you, you make know? it. <laughs> right. And, and, and the fact is, is it not, it, all the platforms don't always work and it can't just be that, right? I mean, you can't just, it's, it's the same motto that I would tell my students when they'd say they want to be freelance illustrators. And I'd say, that's great. How are you going to get work? Mm-hmm. Because their idea was, I'll just sit in my room and I'll, Open my portfolio. Open my portfolio. I'll just draw all day. Oh, I'll make a website. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? A lot of it is that's just the first step, right? And Mm -hmm. it's the same with any of what we do. These are all now just expected tools of what we work with in our business. Right. And that you have to look at. You have to be out. You have to be talking to people. You have to be networking. You can't, you know... That's yeah. how it happens, right? Yeah. We're driving it, in other right. ways. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your students. So in the in the past decade, you have gotten a master's degree in, at the University of Washington. And what is that in that in? It's in digital communications. Okay. Because what I really wanted to understand was um, at that time, which it seems, you know, it doesn't seem all, it wasn't all that long ago. A nanosecond, right? Right, right. Yeah. But I really wanted to understand some of the psychology and the social impact of digital technology and digital communication and how that was changing. And one of the things that I wrote about early on was photography Mm. and how just photography, because of the cell phone, was changing dramatically and the way people shared and what they shared and how they shared it. And that was one of my research projects. Interesting. Which I spoke at a conference called um, uh, Creativity and Cognition, which is actually part of, um, you know, part of a technical network. And um, it was just basically about that the research was that you look at what's get posted, you could break it down into some key categories. And those key categories, you know, such as wish you were here Mm. or, you know, celebration or a morning or a political message or, you know, a a cause. Mm. All of those things are pretty... Um, pretty standard across what people post. Interesting, yeah. And one of the interesting thing was is this is before they Facebook Memories got launched was this research, and it wasn't 
it wasn't launched because of my research. My research just happened to align with it, with what was the zeitgeist out there, which was that your your the Facebook is now your digital scrapbook. Okay, it's your family scrapbook, um, and the whole idea of making memories mm. and put, posting them somewhere, mm-hmm. not a shoebox, right? Mm-hmm. Anymore now you've got you know it's... digital overload, but. The idea that Facebook helps you organize them in a way, mm-hmm. and or Instagram, right, you know? right? And now with these adding with the stories too, right? But then right after that, uh, Facebook launched Memories, which is I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things. So I look, you know, oh, five years ago today this happened. It's like wow, great. Robin, did they that they push that toward you and you see it on your feed? Can you go seek it out as well? If you look at. Um, you mean the memories? Yeah. Can um, I go see what I did five years ago today? Yes, I... you can okay. on your timeline. Oh, okay. In Facebook. So I don't have to wait for them to share it with no, me. No, no, yeah. you could go. But yeah. it's always nice. It's a surprise when it pops up. Like you go, oh, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, we're so, all too lazy to write diaries now, right? but at least we've got Facebook memories. Right. Well, and I think my, my kids who are, my daughter is in her 30s, um, and with her daughter, my granddaughter, I think that basically her whole life has been recorded, which is something we talked about right, right. in our trends like right. 15 years ago, that everything would be digital. And it is. I mean, um, that's really where their scrapbook is. It's not, I actually do handmade books for them, but they, which they love, but they're you're not an, doing you're it. You're anti-trend. Yeah. yeah. Right before we turned on the recorder, you said something to me about digital content and the sort of the counter trend to that. Yeah. Can you riff on that a little bit? I can, because it's interesting because I think all with all the, um, the hacking and um, all the issues around Facebook and po- the political um, climate and all of that, that people are, it's like, okay, now this is really serious, right, about, about And people do post, sweet. they do post and say, I'm taking a hiatus from Instagram for a month. Or I see people right. do that pretty often. And so I see in, when I look at my trend analysis for the next year, and um, so I'll just, I'll share because of that, a few trends, the yeah. ones that I like, which is JWT 100 Trends, J. Waller Thompson, 100 Trends 2019. If you Google it, you'll be able to find it. Okay. And then I also say for the visual people, which there are many, I'm sure, who are listening, um, Adobe does a visual trend uh, 2019. And then the one that I really like is Getty. And Getty Images does a visual trends 2019. Really? And they have essays with them as well. Wow. So you'll see the visual trends. It's not just like, the color, right? You know, of the year or whatever, which is cool, but it's it's one thing. It's one thing. Yeah, this is really looking across, and Getty is quite good at, at capturing what's happening now. But as I've been reading a lot of these, you see, um, you know, people a little bit of uh, like people people are looking for serenity and mm-hmm. a pullback mm-hmm. from all the digital debris that's mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. um, and that's not surprising. The pendulum's just swinging a little. It doesn't mean people are going to give it up. But it means like, um, you know, yeah, maybe I'm not posting all the time or I'm not even posting. I'm just watching um, or lurking, as some people say. But but also I think what's good, what you'll begin seeing emerging is more of what you call private networks. OK, which really is really good point, which is um, which is I think, you know, I've thought of this for years that this was going to emerge and. And I just look when you look at the pattern of who do you actually correspond with on the digital network, right, or on Facebook, and you usually have a core group of people, so it's really more becomes more of a private 
you know, you're looking to have kind of these private discussions with a group of people. Like a forum almost. Right. Okay. Yeah. And um, that, that sort of aligns with these other keywords that I think were have been pretty prominent in uh, our world, and especially like creative online presence, which is this whole authentic, authenticity and transparency. And it's hard to do that with and be super, you know, I guess, naked with strangers. So maybe the safety of a f- private forum is, is more possible. I don't know. Well, or it's not, it's, I, you know, in some ways I don't even look at it as safety. It's just who do I care about to hear from, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, do I want to see, I mean, I don't want to see every post of every friend. Now I have an option I can, like, you know. If Filter it. Somehow I got on somebody's feed because of an algorithm, and I'm like, I don't care about, you know. Not that I don't care about you, my friends, but yes, uh, yeah. you know what I mean. It's yeah. like I, I don't want to see that post, but this post I do want to see. So how do how do creatives who are, you know, pretty much have minimal marketing budgets, and so they're relying on Instagram and maybe Facebook or their own websites as sort of the main tools that they're investing in, which is more time than money. How do they break out of that clutter? I mean, do you see any kind of um, glimmers or you know points of light in in the in, in the in the universe right now? Well, I do have to say that I mean, you had said earlier about Instagram, and geez, too bad it wasn't around a couple of years ago. I mean, I do see that as the the hot medium right mm-hmm. now. Um, well, back to your point about visual, I think right. that's must be why it is. It's very visual. It's because it's visual, but also I find at least the way I do my feed, I end up with like my own personal magazine all the time. So I think you're I'm, curating. I'm to curating. Use that annoying word. Yeah. Yeah, but also what I think that I see the most successful people do is they partner with other people. So mm. once again, it's relationships, right? It's always down to relationships. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, one blog that I follow, she has like a group of fifteen home blogs that she's part of. They all kind of cover a similar topic around the home, but yet they all support one another, mm. and their styles are all very different. And, um, and Interesting. Like, they did this, um, and she did a post, um, and I'll say who it is actually, yeah. because it's nothing like my personal style. Her name is Miss Mustard Seed. Okay. And she, I think I told you about yeah. her before and she's more kind of country, whatever I'm, you know, uh, you're more modern and classic, uh, well, I'm classic or, or eclectic. But I just enjoy her spirit, mm. right, and her presence and what she talks about. And um, and so what they did was they did a Christmas tour of houses of these 15 home bloggers. And they did it like, like you would do an open house. And they linked to each other's blog mm. at the end of each one. Like, mm. first up is so-and-so. And Interesting. You go, and, and I don't follow these other women, but I went to all of their sites because... Of this relationship and this partnership. Interesting. Right? And that's sort of organic. Like they just created it themselves. Yeah, I believe so. Wow. I think they all know, you know, yeah. all know each other. Well, that's kind of a one-to-many philosophy it then is. too, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and I like that. Wow. But, but I think, you know, here's the thing I would say about website. Because years ago um, with websites, I mean, now there's so many great options and that you could templates you can get, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, remember when we built ours? Oh my God, that was well. Like, that's because you, know, you were a graphic designer and you know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. But still, that was even WordPress. It was in WordPress, but it was still even a little clunk, clunkier than they are now. Now yeah. you can just, I would say, just put up your, you know, 
that your website should be somewhat limited. It yeah. doesn't need to be the be all and end all mm-hmm. and everything. And build on it and start slow. Mm-hmm. And then um, with the blogging, I would say that um, if you're going to do it, be consistent. And if you're not, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you find you can be more consistent on something like Instagram, do that. And Instagram is just sort of like micro blogging in a way. Yeah. If, really. if you can get the images that, that are really reflective of your point of view. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, you are, you're kind of evolving in your profession after consulting uh, for years and then teaching. And now you are um, focusing more on cultural and fine art topics in just because it's sort of where you are personally, you've started exploring your own fine art <laughs> and your own, uh, I guess, crafts and I don't know how you would describe it your techniques I guess what's interesting is here's the way I would describe it is that you know I moved out of the big city and now I live in a lovely small town right outside the big city still close enough to the big city which is a trend that you're seeing particularly in not millennials but baby boomers kind of gen x boomers and up right Mm -hmm. yeah because we're seeing in the Seattle area especially you know they housing is not affordable in the city so you see people spreading out north and south and west. Um, so what's happening is, um, as always, artists go to these places, they populate them, and then they become very popular, right? Because so, originally that's where they could afford to live. Afford right? to live. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually they get placed out of the market. But if you read Richard Florida at all, who has done a lot of work on creative culture in cities, um, he'll talk about that, how they'll go and they'll find this place. And of course, it'll have beauty to it and it'll have appeal. And then everybody, after they make it into this special place, people want to live there. And, you know, it's happened here, like in Port Townsend. Yeah. You can see that Bainbridge Island, yeah. um, Vashon Island. These more remote, um, right. gorgeous, rustic places that all of a sudden, you know, have townhouses or whatever. Right, yeah. yeah. But, um, but basically what I've found is that now that I live in a smaller place and I have all this knowledge, I want to help the community grow. And I want to help the cultural community grow. And I want to make sure that there's more options between the very high and the very low. You know, that there's a lot for for people to experience. I love that. And a lot, you know, for people to um, to be participate in, yeah. right? Yeah. That not to that they don't feel there's a barrier because it's so amazing. People are always so stunned when they do something and they feel good about what they produce. Learn a new skill. Learn a new skill and that you don't have to make an art career out of it or you don't have to make a music career out of it, but you can enjoy it for the spirit. I mean, one of the things that we did for the cultural plan of this area was we did a, a small survey of the residents of Gig Harbor, which we got a tremendous return on. Usually, you know, you don't, you're happy if you get 10%. And I think we, we got actually like a, a 19% return. Wow, that's great. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on those numbers, yeah. but we did get a bigger than Better than normal. expected. And what found out was that 75% of the people said that they engaged in some sort of creative activity, whether it be cooking, reading, painting, music, Floral design. Floral design, woodworking, (laughs) gardening, all of those things we consider, you know, cultural and creative. And so I think that's the key is the the creative activity. What is that? that? Because it's, we're fortunate enough, you know, many of us to be able to, to eke, eke out that niche of time Mm -hmm. that provides very good satisfaction. And I think you see a lot of that also coming from 
the movement out there, the mindfulness movement, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of being, you know, thoughtful about how you want to spend your time. Right. Um, And And, and and resources. And resources. And we know also, let's be realistic, that that, um, these passions, you know, well, I don't believe that they're just for... um, you know, people who ha- can afford to do the, it. The affluent. Yeah. I, I, it's not just the affluent. Is that all people are looking for ways for creative expression. Yeah. And that's, you know, from outsider art years ago, which is still very active, onward. So it's not, it's it's looking how you can make it accessible on a variety of levels. Well, and in parallel with that is such an, at least in the Slow Flowers, we talk about this a lot, this idea of creating community. Because anybody who's in this, like, in, in, in the in the floral world, we're up against the massive wire services or the Amazon factor. And so uh, it, you don't want to be driven to have to compete on price. What What is your differential? Can it be a community-based or kind of like what you were saying about these, these forums of who you want to communicate with? Maybe that's a parallel theme with the cultural theme. Like... I want to express myself creatively, but I also want to be in community while I'm doing it. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I've seen some of that happen in the floral world, like the workshops. Right, like the workshops mm-hmm. that you do and mm-hmm. to make. But also I think that um, you just by putting your stuff out there, you're making it accessible to yeah. people, right? Yeah. Um, and I also look at one of the greatest artistic communities in the area and creative communities right now that's exploding is in Tacoma. Washington. Wow. And it's one of those areas, once again, where people could afford to move. Yep. So they moved there. And there's a lot of artists who live there, a lot of illustrators, um, a lot of uh, um, flower creative people. Yeah. Um, but there's a great art museum. And there's, and there's, oh, my God. The art museums housing. are actually spectacular. Yeah. I mean, there are a ton of museums that um, the Tripoli Museum and Tacoma Art Museum, and I just wrote a small article for South South Magazine. They're opening a new wing with the Ben Arroyo collection. Oh my which gosh! Is, you know that the Ben Arroyas donated ten million dollars to build and, and donated their collection and chose a city outside and chose of Seattle. A city outside of yeah, Seattle, interesting. Because of their focus on the Northwest, and Northwest artists, huh. they wanted to stay have a regional focus. Well, you're also involved with the Bainbridge uh, Artisan Resource Network, also known as BARN, right. on Bainbridge Island. And it's, I was excited to hear about the fact that you're exploring your own art in printmaking, but because of your affiliation, now you're going to be teaching there. <laughs> yes. And I'm so, this sounds like such a great workshop. Oh, I want to let you. people know because it's in January. So local listeners can find out about this. Yeah, Talk about it. It's in, the, it's in at BARN in January. Um, and if, for those of you who don't know about Barn, it's this wonderful uh, group of people who started in like a kind of small house and then got enough interest in funding. And it's a multi-generational, um, build as multi-generational, so they do youth through, you know, mm-hmm. retire. And they have a lot of programming, and they have programming in everything from culinary arts, textile arts, glass fusing, um, uh uh, woodworking, printmaking, um, bookmaking, wow. um, and a whole variety, you know, and I'm not even naming them all. I think there's 11 different studios and a metalwork studio. Wow. And it's amazing. It's an amazing facility. And I've been doing a lot of printmaking there, taking a lot of courses there. And this is why you get out and you talk to people because I was talking to someone. They said, you know, um, the woman who was 
programming printing. So yeah, you know, I'd really love to be able to give people more of a basics course because sometimes it's a barrier for them to sign up. They're afraid they're not going to, you know, even though it says no experience needed. And so I said, well, I could do that for you. And that's yes, a conversation, right? Yeah. It's That's not, she found my website. That's not, uh, you know, she saw my Instagram post. You were present. Oh, in I this. was present, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I said, we could do something called Design Matters and just try to cover some basics like color, composition, um, some some editing, how you do a little photo editing, because I think people are really overwhelmed with that. Um, just just those principles that just you, basic principles you have a design degree you think about that right and so do you yes. and and the people who are in the floral industry you know you're thinking about that yeah but it's almost like a muscle memory thing that you don't even you do act without thinking right to create something that's well composed but the, what i think is so interesting about this robin is that a lot of floral artists uh create beautiful arrangements but not everybody can explain why they've done what they've done or better yet teach it and I think that takes an extra set of thoughtful skills to say how do I break this down and make it accessible and that's what you're going to do with this design matters class right the whole idea is basically to say here's some tools here's some you know here play with composition you know, here's, you have 10 objects, arrange them three different ways and take a photo of it with your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Right. That's see, not scary. What, you don't right, need an art studio scary, right? for that. Like, right. You don't need an art studio. You don't need, um, you know, big lighting. Um, here, here's some, here's some colors or here's, you know, an object. What colors do you see in it? Create a palette. Right. I feel like that's, you're empowering others and that's something we all as creatives should seek to do because then we're gaining a broad a, I, what's the word like artistic fluency or something like that among more people who appreciate well and i think the craft. It's, it's a creative fluency it's a design fluency i mean we've talked years ago about the whole idea of democratization of design mm. and the whole idea that design is becoming more accessible over the years and it has and it's certainly even more so now. I mean, the idea, I mean, the whole idea used to be that in order to pick any color other than like beige, black, or brown, you had to do special order for Mm -hmm. a chair or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? And now you're, you know, the options are almost overwhelming. And, you know, and you look at just all that's accessible. And to that, we owe a great nod to technology. Mm -hmm. We owe a great nod to technology for exposing people, for making these tools easier, Right. So that it's not like, okay, I'm going to post on Instagram. I I can do that. Right. I can take a picture. Oh, look, you gave me cropping tools. Um, Right. You know, it might not be that we'd all put stickies and, you know, all those other things on top. Right. But, you know, um, but you have the tools and you have the tools because of technology. Well, that's interesting you say that because um, I think remember back in the late 80s when desktop publishing came into being and I was in print and you were in print at the time and there was all this hand-wringing about how it was going to ruin traditional publishing or like the typesetters were going to lose their jobs or what or editors were going to lose their jobs which they did (laughs) I'm sure that there were there were some just there was some displacement but on the other hand there was this explosion of appreciation for you know, design in terms of a layout of a page or something right. like that because of these desktop tools. 
what would be the the current version of that? I guess is like Canva or something, right? Where you can get this free website that will create text on top of your photo, right? Or create you a logo or whatever. Right. Like my son-in-law is doing a website for his real estate business, and I'm like, okay, I like Squarespace, you know? Because oh, good, that's the one I was looking at. And I said, well, what are you going to do for your logo? And he goes, oh, well, I'm doing one of these websites where, you know, for $50, they give you all the digital assets. And I was like... <laughs> and you're like, I went to graduate school for this? <laughs> and I was like, it's like, wow, you know, that used to be somebody's job, I you know. know? I know. And, um, and, and it is somebody. It's just somebody who is, you know, it's, it's... working at a, a lower rate. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's computer generated. But the fact is, is that as the the tools have made certain things in a sense become commodities which is fine i mean that's evolution i mean i think that you know i remember when amazon started and i had a big discussion i had a fellowship at michigan years ago journalism fellowship and i had a discussion with uh, some of the fellows there and they were like amazon is going to ruin book reading and I'm like, it's not going to ruin book reading. It hasn't. It's going to help book reading. Right. Well, what do you mean? I'm like, it's, you know, it puts more books in more hands than possible. Right. 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 And, and that's what's happened, actually, you know. Right. So and that industry has shifted, but it's not because people aren't reading. Right. And, it's, and for those of us who still love to hold a well-bound book in our hands, it doesn't mean it's all good news, but... I see where you're going with that. Like there, the democratization of design is the silver lining to some of the, you know, maybe undesirable aspects of technology. It's- well, there's more people who certainly have a learned knowledge and appreciation. And particularly when you look at millennials and Gen Zs, um, they have a much more evolved design aesthetic than previous generations. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, look at Target. And, you know, yeah. we are all expecting... Unique products. Well, and Target well actually. Designed. Target actually had a problem with their bottom line when they stopped doing those. Like they were doing them for a while, you know, it's designer lines and all of this. Right. And then they stopped doing it and it hit their bottom line and now they're doing it again. Interesting. And probably also I hear that the line with Chip and Joe has been extremely successful. Yes. I'm sure that everything that they've touched has been um, being an employee or a freelancer. For Meredith, which is Better Homes and Gardens, which also owns the Magnolia Home Magazine, yeah. I've observed some of that. And that kind of goes back to the personal branding, I guess. It's like, can we be successful with our own personal brand with a small B instead of an you know epic celebrity C? I mean, is that is that possible? Well... Yes, if okay. you put, I think so. But you have to find your niche, right? Right. I think you know, I, you found your niche with, and your and it was aligned with your personal belief about slow flowers. Yes, and Luckily, you built on I did. that. Yeah. Yes, but I remember years ago when we were talking about it, and you were like, nobody wants to publish the book. Remember? Yeah. You had I. You showed me the mock up, or what do you call it? Yeah, the, the blad. The yeah. blad. That's mm-hmm. it. You showed me the blad and. And you were talking about it, and and you were discouraged, and you said, "Well, you know what? I'm just going to publish it myself." And you did, yeah. And look what happened, yeah. right? Yeah. And that is like it's possible, you know. Things still catch fire. It's just if, 
But you don't know if you don't put it out there. You don't know you if you have put to. it out yeah. there. And I think what you said about your students who wanted to be illustrators is kind of a cautionary tale. You can't just wait for, you could be incredibly talented, but you can't wait for someone to discover you. Oh, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, a- anybody will tell you, anybody who's been dis- discovered will say, yeah, it's been, you know, 15 years to get discovered, <laughs> right? Right. You know, or it's like, yeah, I've been at this for, like, a long time. Um, because you also don't want to just be, you want to build your business. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think that, um, and I, gosh, I mean, I look and I, I see a lot of the feeds that I follow on Instagram of some of the floral designers and the work that's being done out there is amazing. It amazing. Is. And I love, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm waiting to see this next transition in style because now we've got a very, all with the slow and the natural and the mindfulness and the sustainability and the back to, you know, basics kind mm-hmm. of thing. We have this, you know, this kind of, relaxed aesthetic and this um i mean i'm farmhouse is is switching okay and that aesthetic is going to evolve um and it's beginning to evolve into something a little different right now we see a big bohemian kind of push but where is it all going to end up Mm -hmm. it's interesting it's interesting Mm -hmm. right now i'm interested to look at some of those forecasting tools you mentioned and sort of see what what the prevailing images are, because I think that there, you've always drawn from in in your work as basically a demo, what it what kind of research was, was a, it? Well, I was doing ethnography, ethnography, ethnography okay. and demographics. Okay, so you're looking at uh, all kinds of things like music or film or fashion. Oh yeah, or you have to politics. look at what we call the whole zeitgeist. Okay, or what there's a term for it called steep, which is societal, technological, ecological, economical, and political. Wow. So you, Those are kind of the, the channels that the you would The channels look at. that you want to look at because wow. they all impact each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was at Iconoculture, I smile because, which was over 10 years ago, that to be 15 years ago, I wrote a piece called Return to Heartland Values. And, yes, I remember that. And... Yes, remember I shared that with you? Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to companies and saying, and they being like, that's no way going to happen. And I'd be like, vegetable farming, you know, uh, um, community, DIY movement. I remember talking to a uh, flooring company and saying, yeah, I mean, I think this, what does this mean for us? I said, wide plank flooring. And they're like, oh, no, that will never happen. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you know, so. If you could have a penny for every board I, that was sold. I know, really, no kidding. And I, you know, so, so, you know, I think we look at trends in 10 to 20 year cycles. So we're kind of coming on, I mean, to, to give a nod to Joe and Chip, they hit that right mm-hmm. timing mm-hmm. and who they were and their personalities, but also their design aesthetic had that appeal. It resonated. And right. now you see they're, they're moving out of that into a more, a mix of modern with this and all of that. But when you look at also just, um, general in general, look at the, what people want and what the zeitgeist is out there. As we say, the cultural zeitgeist and look at, okay, what's going on in society? 
okay, if we see a pullback in people, you know, being so enamored of technology. I mean, Apple phone, Apple phone right now, you look at it, Microsoft has exceeded Apple phones in, as the largest company in the world. Um, uh, and because of falling sales of the iPhone. Okay. Right. And, but Microsoft, their sales are all business based. So mm-hmm. it's infrastructure. Um, so that's consumer versus business infrastructure. Right. And then you look at the political landscape, which is torn to pieces right now, and, and people saying they want to find some common ground. Um, we'll you, see. We'll see. But also, if you look at history, it's, it goes in cycles. Right. But, you know, the economy, you look at ecology, you look at the technology, you look at all those pieces and you see, well, what does that, what does that foretell? What's impacting my life right now? What do I wish? Mm-hmm. Because these trends, and the reason we call it the zeitgeist is because it's infused throughout the whole culture. Right. It's you not know, just in high one low, category. Right. High, low, um, high income, low income. Um, lux and, and mass lux market. Lux and mass market. Yeah. It, it all impacts each mm. other. Wow. I want you to have a crystal ball and, and tell us what's going to happen in 2019, but let's do that a year from now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this will become an annual thing. Yeah, maybe we'll do. Yeah, because I'm just in the middle of kind of looking around. Um, uh, last year, you know, it was funny because I really felt, or not last year, but the year before I did one when I was engaged with a lot of virtual reality work. And, um, and I think that is finally beginning to become more mainstream. I think you're right. And so that I see it more impacting things like education now and design, which is some of the work I did and the ability there. But it's kind of now that's a piece of technology that's really beginning to blend in. Right. It's taken a lot of years, but there's nothing like that right now out there that I see that people are going. <gasps> so right, um, right. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm hoping that we can um, keep the organic, natural, real uh, component of floral. Whenever someone says to me that they're thinking about, you know, the explosion of faux, I kind of freak out. But I, I've heard w- mumblings about that, and so. Um, for what it's worth. I'm not advocating for it. On my side of, of things, I'm saying, well, instead of faux, let's at least preserve and and dry real flowers and use them in a different way, kind of going back to the dried flower craze of the 70s. Um, let's advocate for that. Pompous grass. Bring back pompous grass. <laughs> instead of, yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to advocate for that. At least it's kind of like of the earth versus something manufactured. But, you know, that's just my little world. Um, I do think we're in a time of change and hopefully we can find those, those creative channels that are optimistic and, uh, inclusive and create community and create a cultural, um, heart for where we live and work. Um, well, we're always at a time of change, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you want, I mean, things have to evolve and that's good. What's hard is to let go of something that, you know, like for us, when we were looking as print designers and to see the change. But, you know, print didn't go away. And now I'm back to printmaking. Right. So it all feeds it. Right? right. It all feeds it. And it's all I like to look at it as that it's an extension. People always say, oh, you've done a lot of different things. And I'm like, it's all related. 
You're like, I, no, it's bricolage. It's bricolage, right? <laughs> yes. But I see the, you know, the thread, and the same with you. Yeah. It's an evolution of who you are. Yes. And that's, that's, that's what we do. Yep. That's what all of us creatives do. That's right. That's a good good note to end on, and only because we have, have other things on our calendar to go off to today. So, uh, Robin, thank you so much for just being a part of this conversation with me. I've loved it. And uh, I'd like to share links to your workshop that are coming up and your social places so people can find and follow you. And uh, looks forward, we're looking forward to doing something together in 2019. That's right, which we'll do a podcast on. Okay, yeah. sounds great. Thanks so much, Robin. All right, thanks. so much for joining the slow flowers podcast today by the way robin mentioned several of the design forecast reports she uses so i pulled links to those to share in our show notes as well i think we all need to draw inspiration from the larger cultural landscape or as robin calls it the cultural zeitgeist to guide our own branding choices so be sure to check out what inspires her i hope you'll find something new that triggers a fresh idea or path to take for 2019 Next week, I invite you to return to enjoy our fourth annual Slow Flowers Holiday Music Special episode. I'm incredibly excited to welcome singer-songwriter duo Nathan and Ava Leach. If you've attended Holly Chapel's Flowerstock Festival, you've been treated to live performances by Nathan and Ava. That's how I met them, and I'm so excited that they're coming on the Slow Flowers podcast to share their story and music with us as we ease into the holiday spirit. Don't forget to visit the Slow Flowers Summit website for all the details about the 2019 Slow Flowers Summit. Be sure to find that link at DebraPrinzing.com. The summit is scheduled for July 1st and 2nd in St. Paul, Minnesota. So you can grab an early bird ticket and save $100 if you register by December 31st. Slow Flowers members receive preferential pricing, so check it out. We've also just posted all the details about the June 30th pre-conference tour of two Minnesota flower farms, Blue Sky Flower Farm and Green Earth Growers. They're both Slow Flowers members and they both sell their flowers and product through the Twin Cities Flower Exchange, with whom we're co-partnering on the Slow Flowers Summit. The first ever Slow Flowers dinner on the farm is also included in these details. You'll be able to join summit speakers and fellow conference attendees, which will take place at a dinner at Green Earth Growers outside Minneapolis on Sunday evening, June 30th. This is a ticketed event, and you can find details at slowflowerssummit.com. We have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 387,000 times by listeners like you. 
Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you all. And thank you to our sponsors for supporting the Slow Flowers podcast. They include Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978. Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms, large and small, around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. And the Team Flower Conference, a professional floral event where flower lovers from all over the world gather for networking, learning, and celebration. It's a special time for the floral industry to come together, and whether you're a farmer, designer, wholesaler, or just love flowers, you're invited to attend as Team Flowers dreams big for the industry's future. Head to teamflower.org slash slowflowers to learn more about the 2019 conference in Waco, Texas. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Music.